applying the finished work of Jesus. Meaning, the work of Jesus is already finished. We must identify what he has finished for us so we can apply it. Especially on this first Sunday of the month of July as we partake of the Holy Communion, the broken body of Jesus and of his shed blood. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3 and I read from the New King James Version of the Bible. For we who have believed do enter that rest as he has said. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Somebody said the works were finished from the foundation of the world. That is my emphasis for reading this verse of scripture. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. Wow. Somebody will ask, what works were finished? I like it when we identify that scripture answers scripture. So to find what works that were finished, let's go to Revelation chapter 13, the verse 8. Revelations chapter 13, the verse number 8. If you read the whole of Revelation chapter 13, you will discover that this was when the Antichrist will be operational. Okay? With his false prophet having been given the power, Satan will give his seat and his power to him. And then look at what will happen. But my emphasis is on the last line of this verse 8 also. The Bible says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. I will not dwell on the initial part because that will be our emphasis in the course of this July. We will deal with what we call the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And I believe that we can explain those kind of uh, statements in the course of the month. But my emphasis is on the book of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So let's connect this statement with the first statement in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3. The Bible says the works were finished from when? from the foundation of the world. And here we find the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. What is scripture revealing to us here? Do you know that we are limited by time? I'm talking about you and me, human beings. And I believe that probably because of the fall, we are so limited that oftentimes we don't even know what is going to happen in the next second. But God is eternal and he lives in eternity. We live within the curtains of time. So time is our limitation. Oftentimes we don't know what is going to happen next. But God knows. So right from the foundation of the world, I believe from these two accounts of scripture, I believe that God saw through the curtains of eternity and saw that once upon a time he is going to plant a man on this earth and put that man in charge of this world. And that man, because he gave him a uniqueness, he gave man what the Bible calls soul. 
which makes man so unique, different from all of God's creation. The soul of a man is what gives us the uniqueness amongst God's creation. Not even angels have that ability of having their own mind, having their own will, and having their own emotions. So God trusted man with a soul. The Bible says God breathed into man and man became a living soul. But through the curtains of eternity, I believe God foresaw that man will one day jeopardize his eternal destination. In other words, he would trade his soul for something that is corruptible. God could foresee that man will one day mess up. So right from the foundation of the world, in the mind of eternity, in the mind of justice, in the mind of God, he said, okay, if should man, should man mess up, how do we save man? Let's make a universal law. The universal law is that if man inherits anything that is not part of the kingdom, that is a sin nature, the provision for that nature to be washed away is the shed blood. Blood must be shed. So that was in the mind of God. He also made an universal law that without the shedding of blood, there is no washing away. There is no removal. There is no remission of sins. So throughout eternity, in the eternity past, eternity future, God had seen that I'm going to plant a world, but let me also sacrifice the lamb. That will be the substitute, the best substitute for man's redemption. So right from the foundation of the world, in the mind of God, Christ was sacrificed. Are you there? You will discover, as we read on, you will discover that indeed, Christ came and fulfilled everything that was written concerning him in the volumes of the book. God, from the foundation of the world, said, okay, this is my provision. If man shall mess up, so the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Therefore, the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Isn't God wonderful? God is love. And that is why it is dangerous for any human being to reject this offer. Once you reject it, what happens is that your name is deleted from the book of life. And that is what we read here. I will emphasize that in the course of July. Once man rejects Christ, and particularly in the Revelation 13, they accept, let's say, the Antichrist mark, the mark of the beast. Once that happens, your name is deleted from the book of life. Likewise, in our time, we haven't reached the time where the Antichrist is in operation yet, though the spirit of Antichrist is in the world. But in our time, anybody who exists this earth without relationship with Jesus, automatically your name is deleted from the book of life. Meaning that when one is born into this world, his name is written in that book because the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. So once you come into this world, your name is in the book of life. But the moment you exit this earth without relationship with Jesus, your name is deleted. Are you there? In the course of July, we will dwell more on that to the glory of God. But what am I saying? The lamb was slain from the foundation of the world and therefore the works were finished. Which works? Can we find out which works were finished? I want you to look at Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus 13. Which works were finished? From the foundation of the world. 
Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46. All right. The Bible is talking about a leper here. We can learn something from the leper. Now the leper on whom the saw is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean all the days he has the saw he shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Somebody say amen. amen. God gave a law to Moses that as you dwell in your camp, never forget, child of God, that everything that happened under the old covenant, particularly under the law, was a shadow of the real to come. The Bible says the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So everything we see under the law, everything was just to foreshadow what was to come in Christ Jesus. So when God gave the law that if you find any man amongst you, any woman amongst you who becomes leprous, who gets leprosy in his body, and you can see the sore, Take that person to the priest. If the priest examines and realizes that, ah, this person has leprosy. And I hope you know who a leper is. You know the features of leprosy, do you? All right. That person should be the first person to announce himself. Unclean. Unclean. In other words, don't come near me, I'm unclean. And the Bible says immediately that person should be, let's use the word, excommunicated. He is to be taken out of your camp and his dwelling shall be one alone. In other words, he is on his own outside of the camp. He can't come in again because what? He is unclean. Now, a typical example is a man called Uziah. Uziah was a king in Israel whom God used mightily for 50 years plus. God started using him in his, in his early age, very tender age. And God used him mightily. The Bible says he was mightily used by God. And God helped him marvelously until he became strong. When he became strong, his heart was lifted to his own destruction. The Bible says so. What happened to Uziah? Uziah was a king. And in those days, you could not be a king and a priest at the same time. It is only in Christ Jesus we have become kings and priests. So we are royal priesthood. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 says he has made us kings and priests unto God. But under the law, you could not have the two offices. So as a king, Uzziah enters the priesthood office and started offering sacrifices. And the priest came to him and said, hey, it is not your portion to do this work. Please leave. And the man was so pompous by virtue of his fame and popularity. A man who could manufacture engines in those days that could throw bombs. You can imagine. These were thousands of years before Jesus even came. So that tells you how popular and how technological he had become in his day. And that thing entered his head. He was filled with pride and felt he could do anything because he was the king. But he didn't know that God had boundaries. Some say God has boundaries. Yeah, there are boundaries in our work with God. So the priests were warning him, please, it's not your job. Leave this work you are doing. And the man was angry. Get out of here. I'm offering the sacrifice. Bible says, whilst he was offering the sacrifice, leprosy immediately struck him from his head. 
and he became leprous at once, white. Then he himself realized that judgment had hit him. So without the priest even chasing him out, he himself started running out. And the priest said, hey, move out, move out. And the Bible says he lived in a separated house outside of their camp till the day of his death. This was a king who reigned for about 52 years. Mightly used of God. But once leprosy came in, he was unclean. Hallelujah. Can I submit a message to you? Listen, child of God. I said whatever happened under the law was only a shadow of the real to come. Do you know, according to the works of God, according to the revelation of scripture, anybody who hasn't received Christ yet, who hasn't believed the gospel yet, who hasn't received remission of sins yet, who isn't born again yet, that person is on the inside, in his spirit, what the leper is on the outside. In other words, that person is unclean in the sight of God. Never forget, God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. So when we look at you, we may all look the same. Maybe we all have dark complexion. We all look beautiful. We all have put on nice perfume. But God knows the difference. Tell your neighbor, God knows the difference. Because he doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. God knows that this one is born again and this one is not born again. But why did I bring this particular matter in at this time? I brought this in because what works were finished is what we are going to answer. Do you know that when man, when God foresaw that man will disobey his instruction and therefore man will inherit the sin nature, the provision of God was that instead of these people who have inherited the sin nature, to go into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels because they are flesh and blood. Mind you, angels don't have blood. I hope you know that. The Bible says he made his angels ministering spirits. So angels are spirit beings. A spirit doesn't die. So there is no way a spirit can die as a substitute for another spirit. But glory be to God, we are flesh or we were, we were made flesh and blood. So God's provision was that if man should ever mess up because he is a free moral agent. He has a soul. He has the power to decide. He has the power to make choices. So man exercise his will to disobey me and mess up and inherit the sin nature. The provision is that somebody must shed blood to wash away that nature. Are you there? Alright. So God's, God's foreknowledge was that okay, if man should mess up, instead of letting them join the I mean Lucifer and his one third angels who rebel and all of them go into the everlasting fire. I can make something good out of the mess. I said what? God said I can make something what good out of the mess. You must always love Jesus. Because while we were still sinners, he died for us. Never you come to the place where you have the audacity and the, the courage to query God and say, God, but I thought you said this and this. Why are these things happening to me? It's offensive to God for his children to begin to find fault with him. Because you can find fault with man, but not with God. After all, what have we done? Nothing. We should have perished. We should have gone into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. But he made provision right from the foundation of the world and the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And so, when God looks at humanity, all he saw was the sin nature that cannot be countenanced. Man looked on the inside while the leper looked on the outside. He was unclean. 
And throughout the old covenant, God provided not the best substitute, but something that could cover that nature because he cannot countenance it. And that was the blood of animals. We'll see very soon. The blood of animals could not take away sins. But ultimately, God had an agenda that one day when the perfect blood is provided, these people who will be washed on the inside, instead of throwing them away, once they are washed, I will make them my dwelling place. Listen, God has in mind that instead of dwelling in temples made with hands, temples built by man, he will make my body and your body his living tabernacle. That was the finished work of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I said that was what? The finished work of Jesus Christ. Okay, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. You will see it there. The writer here, and that is Paul the Apostle, was quoting some portions of the psalm, the psalmist. The psalmist had said something and those sayings were prophecy concerning the Messiah to come. Okay? If you take your time and read the whole of Hebrews chapter 10, you get what I'm talking about in context. But I'm taking it from verse 4 through 7. The Bible says, For it, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Why? Why was it not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins? Who can tell me? Because animal blood cannot be a substitute for human blood. How can animal die in the stead of human being? In the work of redemption, it is spirit for spirit, human being for human being, goat for goat. So if you shed animal blood, at best, it could attempt. That is why I gave people two and one. At least it did something, but it was only for one year. And the Bible says after one year, there was rehearsal of sins. So the blood of animals was not the best substitute. It must be the blood of human being. Unfortunately for humankind, the first Adam had contaminated his blood with sin. When he inherited the sin nature, we have said it in this house before that when Adam listened to the voice of the serpent, not only did he lose his authority over the earth, he also inherited the, the sin nature, the rebellious nature that made him look on the inside like a leper. So you may look fine, you may look nice, you may smell good, but when God looks at you, something is nasty on the inside. Just as you are not comfortable to relate with a leper at close, intimate relationship, so likewise, God cannot relate with a human being who he made in his own image and likeness and made him a living soul. He could not relate with us because something on the inside was smelling. And he cannot countenance it. When, when Lucifer rebelled and got that nature the first time and all his wanted angels, they were booted out of heaven. God cannot countenance sin. The Bible says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Glory be to God. So man was hopeless without a savior. Because when Adam inherited that sin nature, unfortunately he passed that sin nature through his seed to all his descendants. So Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned, not because you did wrong, but because you were born that way. It's like your genes. You are looking this way because you inherited a genetic makeup. Likewise, we, we were called sinners. Not because we started stealing or started fornicating or started drinking alcohol, but because we were born that way. It is that sin nature that makes man do what he does. The sinner is not the one who first starts fornicating or committing adultery. The sinner is the one who is 
unclean on the inside. It is that engine on the inside that makes him behave that way. And until that nature is washed away, and after that his mind is renewed, he has no place in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. So Hebrews 10 verse 4 says, For it is not possible. Listen, you know we've got all things are possible. I hope you know that. So when God says it is not possible, it means it is not possible. That the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, someone say therefore. When he came into the world, who came into the world? That's Jesus. He said, and he said here, the, the scripture that is quoted here is in the Psalms. The Psalmist prophesied these things and Paul the apostle by revelation is saying it was concerning Jesus. He said sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body you have prepared for me. Someone say a body. He's talking about a human body. Not a, a celestial body. Not a spirit body but a human body. And a human body is what? Flesh and blood. I hope you know that. So this was God's agenda. The lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, it was written concerning him that one day he will come physically and God will prepare for him a body and he will live in that body. He is a spirit being, but he will live in that body. So he said, but the body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. You didn't hear that? God had no pleasure. All those sacrifices, it didn't please God. God was looking for the best substitute that could not just cover the sins of man, but wash it away. Verse 7, then I said, behold, I have come. Oh, he has come. <laughs> I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, oh God. In the volume of the book, that is the scriptures. It was written of him to do the will of God. That is why in Gethsemane, when the battle was between his will and the will of the father, it was the toughest battle ever. Because in Gethsemane, if Jesus, for I mean, peradventure, had succeeded in convincing the Father that the cups will pass over him, meaning that he was going to do his will, not the will of the Father, hey, it means that what was written concerning him in the volume of the book wouldn't have come to pass. So he prayed three times, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass over me, but not as I will, but your will be done. Second time he prayed the same prayer. If it is possible, let this cup pass over me. But not as I will, let your will be done. The third time, he said, Father, if this cup will not pass over me, then let your will be done. This was the greatest victory Jesus wrought for humankind. Because he submitted his will to the will of the Father. And decided that he would drink the cup. Which cup? The cup of iniquity. That sin nature. That Adam had inherited, he was, going to, he was going to drink it into his spirit. Meaning that if the father should look at him for the first time, the father would say, mm, this one, just like I have done it to every humankind, I cannot look at you. So for the first time, when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, the Bible says the father turned his back on him. There was darkness on the surface of the earth. Though it was midday, yet there was darkness from 12 noon to 3 p.m. And he himself cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he had inherited the sin nature. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the Bible says, God has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He didn't become a sinner. He became sin. Meaning that that nature we inherited was placed into his spirit. Do you know a caricature? I'm asking, do you know a caricature? 
to the extent that the nature that he drank into his spirit disfigured even his physical body. So Isaiah prophesied that when we shall look at him, there is no beauty in him that we should desire him. In fact, he said, we hid as it were our faces from him. When you look at him, you say, mm, this is so nasty. His body was contorted, disfigured like a caricature. Why? Because of the sin nature that was placed in his spirit. But do you know the good news? That body that the Lord had prepared for him, that contained flesh and blood, the blood, since it was not his, own, his personal sin, the blood was not stained with sin. Yes, he carried my sin. He carried your sin in his spirit. Therefore, he could die physically. But there was a mystery. There was a hidden agenda. The hidden agenda was that he had blood. That body the Lord had prepared him had blood. But because it was not his personal sin, that blood was, was not stained with sin. Like in the case of Adam, it was Adam's personal sin. So his blood was stained with sin. But in the case of Jesus, he carried my sin and your sin. It was not his personal sin. So his blood was not stained with sin. The Bible says he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And even when he went to the cross, his blood was still not stained with sin. This was the miracle of redemption. Where the blood that was that efficacious to wash away my sin and your sin was shed. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Okay. So, we are looking at the picture. The body was prepared and then the blood was shed and then he said it is finished i hope you know in john we read how john describes that when he saw that everything was fulfilled he said i test and then instead of they giving him water i won't say they instead of we giving jesus water the creator water the creature decided to give the creator when he was testing vinegar took a sponge filled it with vinegar and gave it to him we did it. Don't say they did it. We did it. Because if we were there, we would have done even worse. Hallelujah. I said, we did it. And then, he could not drink the vinegar. This was a man who had bled. And all his blood was gone. It was finished. So, the Bible says that he cried with a loud voice and said, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. Listen. This is the picture. We know that he went to hell. Okay? He, dis, he didn't go to heaven and he met all the demands of justice. Justice demanded that if we should leave this earth, we should go to hell and from hell go to the everlasting fire. But he went to hell and because his blood was that powerful, the greatest detergent ever provided. You can use any detergent to wash away this nature, but this is the blood that could wash. It didn't cover my sin and your sin. It washed it away. When the sin nature was washed from his spirit, Bible said, oh, Justice demands that if the man has fulfilled all the demands of justice, then he should be justified in the spirit. So he was justified in the spirit and he was raised from the dead. Oh, what a victory. I said, what a victory for humankind. That means that through his redemptive work, he saved you and me. So anybody who hears this good news and believes, you are saved. Once you are saved, what happens is that the spirit of God removes the same sin nature. Which man, humankind, a lot of people all over the world are carrying this, this nature and yet they don't know. They look fine. They are doing good works. But they don't know that their good works will not save them. Their good works will only be rewarded. But how can you receive reward if you don't have entry into the house? 
The entry to the house is relationship with Jesus. Having believed the gospel and receive him into your heart. That is what will give you entry. Then your good works will follow you and then it will be rewarded. So good works is good and yet it doesn't save anybody. Can we tell the whole world that good works is good but it doesn't save anybody? So the people who have never embraced the gospel will believe that God had a hidden agenda to save mankind but here is where I'm going. After he has watched the sin nature the prophecy of God, the desire of God, he has said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, for instance, that I will dwell in them and I will walk among them. But I want to show you a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me just land with that. 1 Corinthians 3. To show you the exact picture that God had in mind that he finished the work from the foundation of the world. What work was finished? That's where we are going to. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. I will preach this gospel with my last breath, I'm telling you. Because the whole world must hear that Jesus has already saved us. You All you need to do is to hear and believe and receive that salvation. Once you confess him as your Lord, you are catapulted, you are translated from the kingdom of darkness into God's marvelous light. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? Hey, say I am the temple of God. I am holy because I am the temple of God. You would never have known this reality until it was revealed to us by scripture. Or yeah, through scripture. That how did we become the temple of God in the first place? Do you know that God under the old covenant could not live in any of the saints? Mention any saints that live under the old covenant. From Moses to Elijah to Elisha. To David, Solomon, mention any great saints was used mightily by God under the old covenant. None of them could have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. And who can tell me the reason? Why? Because they still had the sin nature in them. Under the old covenant, the sin nature could only be covered. So the Holy Spirit could only come upon them, empower them with a special grace for special assignments. But the Holy Spirit could not make them his dwelling place. His permanent dwelling place. The Bible says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Someone say one spirit. I hope you know that spirit is from the Greek word pneuma, which means wind. It's also from the Hebrew word rock, which also means wind. So you are talking about wind and wind put together. When you put two winds together, can you see the difference? That is what has happened to us when we receive the Holy Spirit. He comes to join himself with your spirit and you become so one and so inseparable that throughout eternity, the Holy Spirit has only one dwelling place, my spirit. He lives in my body. Think about it. How did that become possible? When the works were finished from the foundation of the world and when he came in the volume of the book and fulfilled that thing that was finished from the foundation of the world when he, when he didn't sin once, although he was also tempted like us we are, but he never sinned. 
throughout his days on earth, 33 and a half years, he never sinned once. Had he known sin, his blood would have been contaminated with sin. And that blood would never have been efficacious to wash away the sin nature. But here is the savior. He knew his agenda. He knew something was written concerning him in the volume of the book. And he lived to fulfill all. And when he had done that, he said, it is finished. And do you know, according to scripture, when he said it is finished, to tell you that this was the finished work of Jesus, do you know when he said it is finished, what happened? Scripture recounts that the veil that separated the holy of holies in the temple from the holy place the veil torn into two. From where? From the top to the bottom. Not from the bottom to the top. Ideally, if it was the work of man, man wouldn't have started. How dare you even go near that veil? Do you know that holy of holies? Nobody goes there except the high priest. And he goes there even once a year. Not without blood. The high priest goes there not without blood. Once a year. So nobody would dare go near that veil. You dare not. But for the whole world to know that this was what God was working at when his son was going through all the, 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 the process of redemption, God was looking at something better than a temple made with hands. So when Jesus said, it is finished, God was saying, hey, now that the best substitute, the best temple is provided, that veil, let it be turned into two so that I don't need any high priest to go and offer any blood again because the greatest high priest, Jesus himself, has shed his blood. So ever since that time, that veil remains open. Everybody has access to the Holy of Holies. Now we are the Holy of Holies. Your spirit is the Holy of Holies. That is where the spirit of God dwells. We're going to use this revelation to apply in our communion today. That's the message. Applying the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm just showing you a picture that until Jesus' blood was shed, God could not live in man. God could not make man his permanent dwelling place. God could only empower man to some extent and use man to some degree. The Bible says of his fullness, that is Jesus Christ, have we all received and grace upon grace. Grace for grace. Grace heap upon grace. Something bigger than Moses, bigger than Abraham, bigger than Elijah, bigger than Elisha was in the process of being offered to us. But mankind didn't know that God had a hidden agenda. He was providing something that was that powerful to remove the stain that was in man's spirit, the sin nature. That thing that makes us look on the inside like the leper on the outside. And when Jesus said it is finished, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom and the way of holies or the holy of holies was open. God was saying that now I have a better tabernacle. I have a better dwelling place. I want to live in this same people who I knew from the foundation of the world will mess up and they will inherit the sin nature but I will make something better out of them. Where there was a mess, I can make a message out of it. Think about it. That you now have become the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. Please, do you, can you imagine, listen to his name. His name is what? Holy Spirit. How can Holy Spirit live in an unholy temple? So he's telling you that the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in, in, on the inside of you, you are holy. Say, I'm holy. I didn't make myself holy. God said, I am. 
How did that happen? When I received the gospel and the sin nature was washed away, I became holy. What is holy? When we say holiness, what does that mean? It means separate. Some say separate. This is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. All right. Did I read 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17? All right. This is where I'm going. Listen. If the blood that could set us apart, make us holy, so much so that now we have become the dwelling place, the tabernacle, the living headquarters of the Holy Spirit, to the extent that God's mind is not just to live in us, but actually to operate through us. In John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, he said, the Bible says, in the last day, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice that he that believes on me as a scripture, he said, if any man is thirsty, that's the first thing, let him come unto me and drink. For he that believes on me as the scripture has said, out of his belly, out of his innermost being, out of his spirit, shall flow rivers of living water. And verse 39 says, and this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, who was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, we know that 10 days after the Holy Spirit was given, and ever since, the Holy Spirit now lives on the inside of us. Are you there? I am saying that if this blood what made this possible for you and me to become the living dwelling place of the Holy Spirit was the blood. Had the blood not been shed, the sin nature would have remained and God would never have dwelled in us. God would never have dwelled in us. It was not possible. So if the blood that was shed, that separated us and made us holy tabernacles of God, living temples of God, is still available through the communion what do you think the communion can provide as we partake of the flesh and of the blood of Jesus today? That's where I'm going. Applying the finished work of Jesus. All I'm saying is that if the blood could set you apart and today you are the living dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, then as we partake of that same blood, we have learned in this house that whenever we take of the blood of Jesus, we are activating the blood that is speaking better things in heaven. Meaning that as we drink of the blood of Jesus, anything about you that is being messed up in this world can be set apart. Today, your spiritual life will be set apart. Your career will be set apart. Your business will be set apart. Your finances will be set apart. Your health will be set apart. Your marriage will be set apart. Your academic life will be set apart. Your relationships will be set apart. Everything about you, as we partake of the blood, you will be set apart. Because it is the same blood. Two that emblem, the broken body and the shed blood, he has given us provision. The Bible says that Paul, right, says, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take it, this is my body, which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is a new testament in my blood. Drink it, for as often as you drink this cup, you do proclaim, you do show for the Lord's death till he comes. We have identified in this house that that word proclaim or so forth is katangelo. Katangelo means to make known. So it's to make known. What Jesus Christ has shed his blood for, you make it known in your life. If he shed his blood to set me apart, as I drink it, it will be known in my life that my home is set apart, my business set apart. I want to give you a picture. There's a picture in the Bible. Do you remember? After all the things that happened in Egypt, when Moses was sent to go and deliver the Israelites from Egypt, 
Moses performed mighty wonders, great wonders, everything. Yet Pharaoh was hardened in heart. He wouldn't let the people go until God applied the last card. Some say the last card. That was the blood. What God told Moses was to tell every Israelite they live in Goshen, which was like a city in Egypt, and the rest of Egyptians live in their country. And God told this was a secret that the Egyptians didn't know. God was going to take them unawares. Let me tell you something. As we live in this world with the rest of the world, God will take the world unawares. One of these days, the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be changed, and together we shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. God will take them unawares. They will wonder, ah, what has happened? What happened? We are gone. Hallelujah. I said we are gone. Because though we live with them, we work with them, we live in the same community, we don't belong here. Are you there? We don't belong here. It will happen. That one, nobody can change it. It's an appointed time. And that time is so close. That is why he says we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves as is the manner of some, but we should exalt one another and so much the more as we see that day approaching. And that day is approaching. Can't you see it? It's approaching. Glory be to God. So God told Moses, tell the Israelites that mark your doorposts, you know, kill animals and the blood, mark it on your doorposts. For I am sending an angel of death through town. Some say angel of death through town. You know, angel of death. Death, I'm telling you, is the, is the servant of hell. Death serves hell and hell serves Satan. Are you there? So, if hell is not receiving people, for instance, in his belly, the Bible says hell lies on his back. Hell is a living being lying on his back. And the Bible says hell does not get satisfied. The more people enter, the more it expands. And there are various compartments. As people enter, hell opens its mouth according to the scripture. And people enter. And then death and all the angels that I mean angels of death that function with the main angel of death will drag that individual to Satan and Satan will say, okay, take him here, take him there in the compartments of hell. And hell is swallowing people. As we are talking and living on this earth, right on the, in the middle of the earth, somewhere is a place where this hell is lying on his back and, and swallowing people day in and day out. Whereas no human being was, was born to go there. Because God has made provision through the shed blood. Unfortunately, because men have been deceived and their minds are blinded, they have never believed the gospel. They live their lives as if nothing matters. Until when they exit this earth, they realize that, and just as it is appointed unto man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. So once you exit the earth, it's over. Nothing can speak for you. So the angel of death has these long legs. Once he moves, one, two. I'm telling you, from the, maybe in America, he can just move two steps and he's in Africa. As the angel of death. Operating. So he's going to walk through town. Very strong and powerful. The only thing that can conquer death is love. The Bible says love is as strong as death. That's why we must walk in love. That's why he gave us love. Romans 5.5 5 says the love of God is shut abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When you are a child of God and you're not walking in love, you are opening the door for death to operate. Death has been conquered. Hell has been conquered. And we are mandated to tame death and tame hell till Jesus comes. And the only way we can do it is to walk in love. 
But finally, the last enemy that shall be destroyed, the Bible says, is death. It shall be cast into the everlasting fire. Before death, hell will give up all the dead in them. And they will appear before the white throne judgment. We'll be talking about it in the course of this month. When they appear before the white throne judgment, just to come and prove, ah, where is your name? Once your name is not there, oh yeah, go. Everlasting fire. And then hell itself will be cast there. And death will be there. The first person that will go there is the Antichrist and his false prophet. Even before the thousand year reign. It's a horrible place. It was not meant for any human being. No human being should go to everlasting fire because Jesus already went to hell in my name and in your name. We must tell this gospel, brothers and sisters. It is the passion of God that none shall perish. Look, if you know hell, you will never wish that even your worst enemy should go there because Jesus already went there. He died for me. He did it all. We owe him gratitude. That's what Paul said at Lake. Instead of dying for anybody, I will live for the one who died for me. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Make a choice and a decision. That instead of dying for anybody, maybe a husband disappointed you, or a boyfriend left you, or a wife disappointed you, and he said, because Hey, don't die for anybody. It is enough that Jesus died for you. Don't die for anybody. Rather choose to live for the one who died for you. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. That's the choice. That's the choice. Let me run up my message. I'm going somewhere. Get a picture because we're going to take the communion very soon. God told Moses, tell the Israelites, let them mark their doorposts with the blood. For when the angel of death passes through town, any house that is marked with the blood, that angel will pass over. In other words, God sets the Israelites apart from the world. Do you know Egypt is symbolic of the world? I hope you know that. In scripture, when the Bible talks about the world, Egypt is symbolic of the world. And then, Goshen, which was in Egypt, is symbolic of the church. So what happened under the old covenant was actually a picture of what is happening right now in this present world. Yes, we are in this world. Galatians 1.4 calls it present evil world. But we are not of this world. We are in Goshen. Some say we are in Goshen. We live in Goshen. Why? Because we are marked by the blood. The blood has washed us. The blood has separated us. So, what they suffer in the world, we don't suffer it. Until you come to that realization and take advantage of what we have become in Christ and walk in that reality, Satan can take advantage of your ignorance and bully you. By people perish, not because they are not separated, but because they don't know, because of lack of knowledge. But glory be to God, we are here to take the flesh of Jesus and of his blood for one reason. So that what Jesus has done through his finished work by setting us apart, we can activate it. Hallelujah. As we drink of the blood of Jesus and eat of his flesh, we are saying that that same blood that was shed and set us apart and made us God's dwelling place. Now we are the temple of God. Let that blood be activated. As we drink of his blood, let the blood set me apart. Let it set my home apart, my finances apart, my business apart. And once you are set apart, in a distracted spirit, when it comes, what does it happen? What happens? It passes over. 